Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. I'm grateful for everybody who has uh, joined in. And uh, I don't know what you come to do, but I've come to uh, glorify God. And I've also come to uh, share with you and share alongside you what we believe that uh, God continues to give us to make us a greater blessing in our communities, in our culture, for the kingdom of God and to the glory of our King, who is our God. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to begin our discussion. Father, we thank you so much that you've made it possible for us to come together this morning. We thank you for every individual who's a part of this gathering. We thank you for those who've taken time and are giving concentration, who are giving thought and reflection. We pause this morning to say thank you. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your tender mercies. We know that it is of your mercies that we are not consumed. It is because your compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you for each individual in the workplace, each individual who might be working from home, each individual who might work a shift that now takes him or her away from the workplace and now they're on their way home. We pray for those who are at work and they're moving because they're involved in logistics, truck drivers and transport. We pray for all of those who are in their various roles at this time or on their way to or from. And our prayer for these is the same as the prayer we lifted in the earlier session. And that is, Father, that you would give strength. You are the God who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We ask you for physical strength if there are those who are undergoing physical challenges and physical difficulties, that you administer to them, that you strengthen and build them up the more. But even more so, we pray for emotional strength. We pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen the souls of your people, strengthen the ability of your people to, to engage in the challenges that life brings them in the professional arena. We pray for strength for those whose families are having difficulties or maybe financial strain, and they have to compartmentalize what it is that they're doing in the workplace because in order to concentrate, they will have to bracket out some of the things that are challenges to them. And so we ask you for the strength that they will be able to serve others even while they themselves are dealing with personal needs, family needs, parent-child needs, or spousal needs. We pray, God, in Jesus' name, that if there are financial resources or capital resources of any kind or 
physical material resources or human resources of any kind that are needed, Lord, that you'll open the door for them. Lord, that you'll give them the wisdom and then the courage to make difficult decisions, to be able to discern, Lord, between what they should do and what they should not do, and even the insight and the strategy as to how to accomplish that which is of optimal benefit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, supply every need. You said you would do so. You said you would supply all our need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I thank you, oh God, that you give them the strength to endure, oh God, to withstand persecution, to withstand and overcome temptation, anything, anything that the enemy would attempt to use to erode their effectiveness. We pray for strength to walk in total victory. And we give you the praise for it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Wonderful. We're grateful for those of you who've come on and come alongside. We have uh, we have been talking based upon our theme, our overarching theme, which has been being, becoming, and doing. And uh, it has everything to do with the process by which God brings his eternal purpose into our temporal experience. Again, we're talking about the process by means of which God brings to pass his eternal purpose into our temporal experience. You understand eternal is the realm where God uh, I would say the, the realm where God lives because the Bible said he inhabits eternity, but but um, in the truest sense, eternity inhabits him. He is I am. He is. All right. And so the eternal represents the realm where God purposes and plans and uh, predetermines and foreordains that realm. And that's the realm in which we were created. We were created spirit. We were created in the mind and the heart of God. And then in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, he brings us into the earth. Now, time is the definition attached to the root temp from which we get the word temporal. And so eternal, that which pertains to God's existence, God's realm of existence, and then time, which, which pertains to our realm of conscious existence. And when God brings out of eternity into time, his purpose, that purpose is complete, but the process has to unfold. The process has to unfold. And that process is what we are referring to when we use that threefold term being becoming, doing. When we say being, we're talking about God's eternal purpose and plan for your life. Becoming that eternal purpose and plan uh, evolving into the earth. And the more it evolves, and then, then the more that you do, the more that you uh, fulfill that purpose. Now, we, uh, we're using as 
a theme text, the book of Genesis chapter 12. I wanted to look back at the observances. I, I don't intend to go through all of the observances, but I did want to uh, uh, touch on one or two of them because this is a notable, uh, this month is a notable month. It is Irish, Irish American Heritage Month. It is Music in Our Schools Month, Craft Month, uh, Nutrition Month, Women's History, Red Cross, and Social Workers. So we honor all of you who have Irish heritage or you are of Irish descent. We honor you. Music in Our Schools, we certainly honor all of you that are musical professionals. We acknowledge each of you. Um, then those who are craftspersons, we acknowledge you. We had a great uh, discourse about the crafts, uh, craftsmen and the need for those professions in the 715 session uh, last week with uh, uh, Overseer Wyatt and Brother Benjamin Brown. Then uh, this is also Nutrition Month. So all of you who are culinary specialists, all of you who are dietitians, all of you who are chefs, all of you who are restaurateurs, we honor you. We honor you because that is a most significant area of professionalism. Then National Women's History Month. We honor all of our women. And we actually began a session, excuse me, began a, uh, had a session, began sort of a series last Tuesday about women from the kingdom lens or through the kingdom lens in our Tuesday evening Bible study. So you're certainly welcome to join us if you're able and you're not obligated otherwise uh, this coming Tuesday. Then the Red Cross Oh my, not, not too much can be said about the value that the Red Cross has brought to so many communities, particularly in time of crisis. Uh, in this community, uh, during the times of the hurricanes and so forth that we've had, the Red Cross has been a vital part of our partnership. And then Social Workers Month, all of you who are involved in social work, all of you who are involved in helping children to be taken out of difficult or abusive circumstances and placed in safe environments and, and, and who deal with those who are going through domestic violence and all of what you do, uh, the needy, the, the hungry, we salute our social workers. Then um, when we look at the days, we're not going, definitely not going, going to try to go through all the days uh, observances, but um, the 14th, I think it is the 14th, the 14th, either the 14th or the 15th. Um, <clears throat> uh, Sister Hamar, I don't know if she's on with us today, but Sister Hamar informed me that March uh, is also the month that represents Hungarian independence, that the, the war for the independence of the nation of Hungary uh, uh, took place uh, and, and is a recognized in March. And I want to say it's the 15th. It's either the 14th or the 15th. But um, our sister Hamar 
is of Hungarian descent. And so we certainly want to honor um, any others who are connected to the nation of Hungary and the nation itself for its, uh, uh, and there's, there's Sister Amar, there you go. Sister Amar, which, which day is it? Is it the 14th or the 15th? I, 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 um, I was trying to go to the, uh, the note that you sent me, but um, put something in the comments there so that uh, we can all um, uh, bear witness. All right. 15th. Great. Yes, 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 yes. So we salute you, Sister Amar. We're, your nation produced a great representative in the person of Sister Andrea Hamar. God bless you. Um, then um, also the Ides of March. Those of you who remember a little ancient Roman history or you remember uh, William Shakespeare's The Tragedy of Julius Caesar, you will recall that the uh, soothsayer said to Julius Caesar, beware the Ides of March. The Ides is the 15th of March. And um, unfortunately, Julius Caesar was assassinated on the Ides of March. Then March 17th, we're going to come to it, Purim. This is the day that is actually, it is um, a, quote, holiday that is established uh, in the book of Esther. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And uh, March 20th, International Earth Day. So in other words, our responsibility as stewards of the earth, stewards of the planet, uh, is a real one. It is also the spring or the vernal equinox, uh, March 20th. All right, so that's as far as we'll go with that. That's as far as we'll go with that. All right. I didn't mention, I'm, I'm, Sister Samuel, I'm glad you mentioned, see, I was trying to um, just skip over some things, but um, St. Patrick's Day, let me mention that. You know, this is Irish Heritage Day. Let me let me mention St. Patrick's Day. I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's also on the 17th. I was just moving too fast there in my effort to be um, be quick. But listen, the uh, St. Patrick was a mighty man of God used in signs and wonders. St. Patrick was a mighty man of God used in signs and wonders. He preached the gospel to Ireland. He helped convert Ireland from paganism to Christianity. Now, unfortunately, in our world, over time, we can take that which is sacred and that which is of God and allow it to degenerate into such a thing that when we think of St. Patrick's Day, all we think of is um, leprechauns and shamrocks and uh, uh, drinking and parties and all that kind of thing. That's not what St. Patrick stood for. St. Patrick was a, a bishop, if I have it right, bishop, but definitely uh, a clergy person, a preacher of the gospel. In other words, a prophetic voice to a nation, an apostolic voice to a nation. And what I found in many instances is that if the enemy cannot totally erase the witness 
of a man or woman of God, if he can't erase it, he'll strive to erode it. If he can't totally uh, do away with the memory of that individual, then he'll try to do something that so distorts it and twists it that the only thing that, uh, that we remember is something very trivial or superficial. That's right, Dr. Bellinger, the whole pinching someone if they didn't wear green and all of that. I don't know if that came from Ireland or not. That that was just in the neighborhood. I don't know if that was in Ireland. Uh, you know, if Ireland even knows anything about that one. But but my point simply is, um, uh, St. Patrick was a mighty man of God. Now, Millhouse, you're going to take us back. You're going to take us back to yesterday morning when we were talking about historical revisionism. Uh, I don't know whether that was the 8.30 or the 11 o'clock service, but we were talking about historical revi revisionism and um, how one of the reasons why there needs to be a Black History Month and there needs to be a Women's History Month is because the people who write history, number one, will tend to write from their own perspective. That's the first thing, and that's natural. We all tend to approach things from our own perspective. And since most of the historians were males, they're going to write from the male perspective. And since most of the historians, European, Western historians, were non-African, since the majority of them were non-African, quite naturally, they're not going to write with African-Americans as the focus as far as some sort of favorable or contributory uh, angle. And so in order to set aright those things which have been amiss, it's necessary to have these periods of time where there's an emphasis placed. I can remember my students asking me, particularly my European students, they would ask me, Mr. Blue, why, why do we have Black History Month? Why don't we have White History Month? And and some of them didn't mean any harm. I don't know if any of them did, but I know some of them didn't mean any harm. They were saying, well, why? Why, why do we have Black History Month? We don't have White History Month and so forth. And uh, I had to help them understand that the reason why there needs to be a Black History Month or an African-American Awareness Month is because of the fact that the contribution of the African, the role of the African, the significance of the African has been diminished in history as it exists. And so in an effort to bring greater light. And we even talked about this yesterday and we won't go all the way through it, but uh, uh, it, is, it is because when we, when we deal with, when we deal with um, one's worldview, your worldview is your perspective. It is the lens through which you view and interpret or you see and interpret the world around you. It is that set of ideas that uh, that become a lens through which you perceive. Okay, so um, one's worldview is shaped by a number of things, and one of them is a sense of origin, a sense of origin. All right. So remember when I talked about historians, I talked about the fact that number one, there are those who um, all of us tend to tell the story from our perspective. And so since most Western historians are going to be European males, 
they're going to tell the story from a European male perspective. I don't know if I got to the second one, but the second one is this. When you have an agenda, you tell the story to advance your agenda. <laughs> I'll say it again. When you have an agenda, then you tell the story in such a way as to advance your agenda. So I don't know if you've ever seen some of the sitcoms back in the day where um, the as the episode begins, the episodes begin the, the episode begins with um, Andy um, Andy Griffith, uh, uh, Barney Fife, uh, Aunt V, and 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 Opie. All right, they're all four arguing about, or at least the three adults are arguing about what just happened. And Barney tells his story and and we fade and we see the story as Barney told it. Then Aunt B said, that's not the way it happened. And then we see the, the story as Aunt B remembers it. And then Andy says, ah, oh, none of you are right. This is the way it happened. And, um, and we see the story, same event, but from Andy's perspective. And then finally we have little Opie, he's scared to say anything, but he says, may I say something? And this says, I think all of you are kind of missing something. And then Opie tells the story as it really was. You understand? Whenever you are the historian, you tend to tell the story. <laughs> you tend to tell the story according to your agenda. All right? So that's another piece. Um, no disrespect, but many Western Many Western historians had an agenda. Many European historians had an agenda. And that agenda was that if you were a minority, then we're going to tell the story in such a way that your sense of origin is a minuscule sense. That is, if you didn't come from much, your people didn't do much, your people weren't worth much, because what that does is that it puts in you a sense that I must not be much. I must not be much. If I didn't come from much, then I must not be much. You understand what I'm saying? So some of the historians twisted history in order for minorities to have a sense of less significance because your history, your personal history or your family history can build your sense of self, uh, self uh, esteem or self worth or uh, um, self image. Okay, so that's one of the reasons as well why we need these um, special times of, of observance. Number one, historians tend to talk from their own perspective. Number two, if you have an agenda, then you're going to tell the story according to your agenda. And then number three, history um, must be preserved for the good of all people. It, it, it needs to be preserved for the good of all people. In the, in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, uh, beginning in the 12th chapter of uh, Exodus, uh, at least the 12th chapter, uh, uh, let's see if, if before. Um, yes, in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, now I'm getting ready to bring you out of uh, of Egypt. Make sure that you pass this on to your children. Make sure you pass this on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you an observance called the Passover because every year I want you to review the history. And I want to say to you 
uh, <clears throat> I want to say to you, kingdom professionals, I have not personally, now ministerially, I think we've done a fairly good job, but I have not always personally taken care of history as I should have. And I want to say to each of you that whatever you have, shall we say, achieved or attained or obtained professionally or personally, make sure you protect your history. Protect those moments and those milestones um, for a number of reasons. First of all, you're going to need a resume. You're going to need a vita. You're going to need a bio. That's the first thing. Okay. But then secondly, and more importantly, it's like what Jesus or what God told uh, Moses and Aaron. Pass it along to your children. That history becomes a foundation upon which the children can build, successive generations can build. All right. I said it becomes a foundation upon which successive generations can build. He says, stop your children and, and answer their questions. Because children always want to know where they came from. If you really think about it, they always want to know why a thing is. Children are naturally inquisitive, and that's one of the key things that they will tend to want to know. Um, where did I come from? Where did we come from? How did this start? How did this begin? Why is this? And God says, make sure that you uh, protect your history, that you preserve your history. All right. And history does not have to be dead, dry or boring. If the history is dead, dry and boring, it's because of the person who's giving you the history. It's not because of history itself. History is extremely exciting unless you yourself tend to be dead, dry and boring. But um, the individual who's presenting can present it in such a way that it's invigorating or it's painful. Make sure that we're the former and not the latter. Okay, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have this book if someone had not determined to uh, preserve at all costs the record. Not only that, but you've heard the expression uh, that those who fail to learn from history are often doomed to repeat it. If we fail to learn from history. Sometimes we we can repeat uh, the negative aspects. All right, so hold on to all of that. So so thank you, uh, Sister Samuel, who asked about uh, St. Patrick's Day, who called me back to that one because that was one I was about to omit. Well, uh, Genesis chapter twelve has been the basis, the basis text for our discussion. The Bible says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of that country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I told you that, that in a sense, Romans chapter 12 and verse one in the New Testament is the counterpart to this 12 and one, because he says there, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Abram was conformed to his world. What was his world? His country, his kindred, his father's house. His country, his kindred, 
his father's house shaped the way that he thought, shaped the way that he saw and interacted with the world. And God says, I want to take you out of that world and introduce you to a new one. In order to do that, I need for you to come out. Get thee out from your country, your kindred, your father's house. You ever heard, you ever heard anybody uh, um, refer to the place of their familiar and their comfort zone and so forth? They call that their circle. Well, I think it's interesting that in a sense, God tells Abram to uh, break out of your circle. The big circle of your country, the smaller circle of your kindred, and the even smaller and more intimate circle of your father's house. Sometimes God will demand that we break out of certain circles because sometimes the circle perpetuates in our lives the cycle. And you've you've heard us talk from the Samson story about um, uh, death-dealing cycles. There can be life-giving cycles and there can also be death-dealing cycles. What Samson was dealing with was a death-dealing cycle. And uh, if Abram had stayed where he was, he would have stayed in a confining, constricting cycle. A set of concentric circles that hindered him from becoming. And I want you to know, my dear friends, that your circle can hinder you from becoming. Okay? This is not a preaching session. But if it were, I would have just preached. I'll say it again. Sometimes your circle can prevent you or at least hinder you from becoming. And I believe, although the Bible doesn't explicitly state it, I believe that this is one of the key reasons why God said to Abram, I need you to get out. Get out your country, your kindred, your father's house, because sometimes your circle, your circle can prevent you or hinder you, bless you, Lady Brown, from becoming. How many times have I seen it in my students' lives? I, every one of you that are educators, I know you've seen it. Parents, sometimes we've seen it. Church leaders, we've seen it. Employees and supervisors, sometimes you've seen it. You've seen good people, people with great potential, people with great promise. You can see them becoming the next supervisor. Uh, you can see them becoming the next level of leader. You can see them uh, becoming uh, an expert in certain areas, uh, an excellent performer in certain areas. But because of the circle, the circle prevents them from becoming or at least hinders, okay? And so God says, get out. But remember, I've, I've told you repeatedly that in the Hebrew, it says, come to yourself. Come to yourself. Now, come to yourself could be interpreted be by yourself in this phase. It could mean that. And, and there's a time when God will allow there to be isolation uh, 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 for a season. Yes, he will. He will. Okay. But but the, the literal terms are so powerful because he says, come to yourself. That is, Abram, 
I want you to come to Abraham. Or going back to our original statement, I want temporal Abram to meet eternal Abraham. I want the you that exists in this world to meet the you that I've ordained in my world. Um, Brother Johnson, um, you asked the question, how can an individual separate from the circle without causing issues within the circle? I don't know that you always can. I don't know that you can always uh, 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 depart from the circle without there being issues. Sometimes the issue is the price of promotion. Sometimes the issue is the price of becoming. This is a little illustration I like to use. It's a true story. And it doesn't perfectly illustrate this, but I think it does speak to it. Um, as, a, as a young uh, lad, 10 years old, 11 years old, I was teaching Sunday school in, in our church. I was assigned to teach teens. I was not a teen. And I was assigned to teach teens. Well, in my day and probably in all days, one thing that you don't have happening is older boys wanting to listen to a younger boy. You understand? He can't tell us nothing. He can't tell us anything. And so I was assigned to try to teach these older fellows from the word. And, uh, they just weren't, they weren't hearing it. They weren't hearing it. And uh, this was not a one-time kind of scenario. It, it, you know, it was, it was, um, it was difficult. And so finally, uh, I left out of the church building. We, we were having Sunday school. I walked out of the church building. Now, our house that we lived in, it wasn't our house. Uh, we rented it. But the house that we lived in was across the street, directly across the street from the church. And it just so happened that when I walked uh, out of the church building um, on my way to another church, a uh, holy church in the community, um, uh, mama was standing on the porch. She didn't go to Sunday school. She would come to morning worship. And she saw me and she asked me, where are you going? Because she knows I love the church and so forth. And I said, I was trying to teach the Sunday school lesson and they wouldn't let me teach. And so I'm going to, and I named the Holy Church that was down uh, about two miles. And um, she said, that's right, son, run, run for your life. That's old saint talk, run for your life. And um, I met in that instance, an individual who would be one of the key players, actually, uh, through that individual's spouse, my life was forever transitioned. That person's spouse became one of the greatest mentors in my spiritual walk. But I had to come out of that circle. That's a small, that's not a good illustration, but but you get the point. Um that was where I belonged, and all of that was good. And, and I'll never forget my connection 
I, matter of fact, I, I'm still connected. But in order for me to become uh, a, a teacher of the word, in order for me to even learn better how to teach and learn and all of that grow and 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 finally become a minister and all that kind of thing, um, I had to uh, I had to come out of the circle. And um, sometimes you will be misunderstood. That's a part of the price. Now, you make sure that you're not unkind. Make sure you're not unkind. Make sure you're not rude. Make sure you're not nasty in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is not nasty. Make sure you're not disrespectful. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not justifying those things at all. But I'm saying that when your mindset is no longer the mindset of those in your circle, it will cause discomfort. It will cause friction, even with well-meaning people, even with very well-meaning people. I could give you some adult stories. That's that's a child story. I could give you some, <laughs> I could give you some adult stories, but uh, that's enough. So yes, in order for you to become what God has ordained. And I don't just mean in the in the church setting. I use that illustration because that's my life and I, I'm the one who lived my life. But in every aspect, listen, you may have to separate from some of your coworkers. You may have to separate from some of your coworkers and, and they will ask why you don't do lunch with them anymore. Or why you don't remain in the workroom or the lounge or whatever is prepared for your co-workers. But you come to understand that when that group gets together, it becomes a toxic environment and that it becomes uh, a hindrance to your becoming. Then you have to hear God saying, get thee out. <laughs> get thee out of the lounge. Get thee out of the break room. Get thee out of the workroom. Get thee away from the water cooler. And there will be those who will say things or who will look at you and say in so many words, mm, she thinks she's something now. Mm, He's trying to be big shot now. That's, that's persecution. When you still greet people kindly, you're still sweet, you still smile, all of that. But you don't hang in the circle because you've come to understand that it is toxic. You've come to understand that it's counterproductive. You've come to understand that many times your words can be taken and twisted. And when you hear them again, you said something that you know you didn't say, get thee out. Get thee out. I'll have to move. I'll have to move. You see, and many times you have somebody watching you who has promotion in their hands. You have someone observing you who has advancement in their, uh, under their jurisdiction. And, and they're watching you to see if your character is dependable to the extent that you don't get into gossip 
You don't get into small-mindedness. You don't get into cliques that you stand for the good of the organization or the institution. If you have a problem with your superior, you go to the superior, but you don't feed into murmuring. You don't feed into negative. You understand uh, negative, uh, negative atmosphere. You understand every company has a culture. Every company has a culture. Every company has a culture. Whether we're talking about the company of a school, whether we're talking about the company of a child care center, whether we're talking about the, the, the company of a church, every company has a culture. And, and that culture exudes an atmosphere and can be affected by an atmosphere. You and I have to decide what are we feeding into the atmosphere? What are we feeding into the culture? Is this a culture of cynicism and suspicion and uh, negative criticism and backbiting? Or is this a culture of constructive criticism, but praise and celebration? I'm telling you, my dear brothers and my dear sisters, life is too short to be connected to a culture that's death dealing, a culture that leaves people feeling wounded, a culture that leaves people feeling undervalued and underappreciated underestimated, a value, a, a culture rather, that makes them feel as if there's going to be several knives in their backs once they are turned. I'm talking about company culture, and we might not be able to control the culture. And when you can't control the culture, that's when you depart. Now, if you, if you can reform the culture and you're responsible to reform it, then you do your best by the help of God to do so. But when you are in a culture that you really don't control, you're in a culture that you really don't have responsibility or the authority to manage, then you just make sure that, that, that you withdraw enough to be insulated. Sometimes you are isolated in order to be insulated from that toxicity. I was talking to our, um, I was talking to our, um, uh, Sunday morning staff here, uh, the Door of Hope Church, and I was, you know, we 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 convened. Uh, man, our time is getting away from us. But we convened a uh, a Zoom session with our care group leaders, and then following them with the uh, Sunday morning staff. And one of the main reasons why we have that meeting, one of the main reasons why we have that meeting, is to say thank you, to say you're doing an excellent job, to say that. That, that we appreciate what's taking place. And I made the statement rhetorically that somebody might say, you mean to tell me you convened a Zoom session just to say thank you, we appreciate you. Yes, 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 we don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. We don't find ways enough to let people know that we appreciate what it is that they're doing. And appreciate doesn't just mean thank you. Appreciate means I assess accurately the value of what you bring. And I think more than ever that I um, I think I have in the past, some of it I didn't have the courage to do because uh, sometimes you can have a, mm, sometimes you can have a spirit in the midst that when you are trying to celebrate and you're trying to validate and trying to lift up people, sometimes that, that, that demon, that, um, Words contrary can be so difficult to deal with that you almost say, just forget it, you know, and it can also discourage one's heart until your heart gets strong enough that that discouragement uh, mechanism and technique doesn't work the way it used to.
No, you want to create an environment, a culture where people who work are glad to do it. Not whether they are in a, a paid staff position or whether they're in a volunteer position, you want to create a culture in which people are glad to do what they do. Because at the end of the day, you can never pay a person what that person is worth. You, you should compensate them well, but you can never pay a person what a person's worth because the life of a human being is of inestimable value. You can't put a person's life in dollars and cents. I know they said they paid you $25, $30 per hour, or they pay you $100,000 a year, but a year of your life is worth more than $100,000. A An hour of your life is worth more than $25, $30, $40. You understand when they say per year or per hour, they're talking about a year or an hour of your life. You understand? And so, no, you, you can never pay a person what a person is worth, but you can create a culture in which you compensate honorably if compensation is a part of it. But whether you compensate or not, you always show them that you're grateful for what it is that they provide because you appreciate, you assess the value, you see the worth that they bring. Uh, you can't pay people enough for them to stay in an environment where they're being constantly insulted and demeaned and derided. And that's why many times you find professionals who leave what we consider good paying positions, the stress of it, Lord have mercy. I don't know who I'm talking to now. The stress of it, the distress of it is just not worth it. And so people from the outside, oh, you, you got it made, you got it going on. And they don't realize that no, the, 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 the environment where we work though is so toxic. People are at one another's throats, conniving and scheming, oh my. All right. Uh, all right, so this, this is Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals. All of this, all of this, is a part of of uh, of what we're we're sharing, and that's one of the reasons why God would have to say to an Abram, "Get thee out, come to yourself. I need you to disconnect from these circles because I have a another circle that I want you to build. I want you to cultivate a circle. Wow." You see, Abram, Abram is being called of God to establish a culture. Some of you who've been with us for a while, you know that one of our phrases for the kingdom professional movement is culture maker, culture shaper. Abraham is being called of God to build a culture, to make a new culture. And I'll go ahead and tell you that, that your culture centers on your worship. Your, let me say it another way, though, because I don't want to, quote unquote, offend someone who doesn't want to take this from a spiritual perspective your culture your culture is determined by its core and the core of the culture is your values the core of your culture 
is what you value the most. That's the core. That's why when you see a, uh, a strategic plan and the strategic plan has its um, vision statement, its mission statement, at some point it has values or parameters. Every culture, every culture is predicated and determined by its core. Ancient cultures all revolved, or, or virtually all of them revolved around their theology. They they revolved around their sense of deity. They 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 they, they surrounded their sense of of God or the gods. And remember that Abram, Abram is in Ur of Mesopotamia, and it is believed that Abram and his father Terah were moon worshipers. So you see, at the core of Abram's culture is a deity, and that deity's doctrine that would have framed every other aspect of their lives. And God says, I need you to break this circle. I need you to depart from this circle because this culture is corrupt. This culture is counterproductive to what I've called you. <clears throat> this culture is counter to your calling. You follow that? And he brings Abram out and he becomes Abraham. Bless you, Bishop Knight. Uh, he becomes Abraham and God uses Abram and then Abraham to cultivate a new culture, a culture that has another core. And the core of Abram's culture, oh God, excuse me, the core of Abram's culture. Let me go back. Remember I said that every culture has a core? And I told you that at the core of most of the ancient cultures was their deity. Now, let's go just a little deeper in that and then we're going to come back. The culture has as its core a deity. Now, the relationship of the people to that deity would be called a covenant. And God brings Abram out of Ur of Mesopotamia into uh, Canaan because there God is going to use Abram and later Abraham to cultivate a new culture. And every culture has a core now. And at the core of that culture, right, I said is some deity, some God, right? And Abram is going to come to the knowledge of the true and living God, Yahweh. And he and Yahweh are going to enter into covenant. Covenant lies at the core of this culture. Covenant lies at the core of this culture. And God says that because of the corruption that lies in the core of Mesopotamian culture as it presently is, come out. Come and I'm going to cause you to be a cultivator of a new circle, a new culture. With God's covenant, Yahweh's covenant at the core. Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard that the family is the 
basic unit of society. Have you ever heard that expression? I don't know if they teach that much anymore, but they used to. They used to teach that the family is the basic unit of society, the basic unit. In other words, the family is the core of a culture. Family, basic unit of society. Family is the core of a culture. That's what that means. Notice, though, that the core the family is based upon a covenant marriage. That, that's the way it used to be. And the covenant of marriage becomes the core of the family, which is the core of the culture, the society. And so God says, the heathen are married covenant to a false god, a demon actually. And it's at the core of their culture. When you, again, if you don't want to use religious terminology, the values, the values. When the central values of a culture are corrupt, then that 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 culture is going to be a toxic culture and you left with no choice but to get out all right would you please lend me about five minutes let me close this we mentioned we mentioned the being becoming doing I did not get to say to you, as I said to the first group, that's why it's good to partake in both or get the replay if you can, um, that our aim with this movement, this FKP movement, is to help you understand, and I stated it this way for the first time, that the place of your employment is the place of your deployment. The place of your employment is the place of your deployment. That is, although it is a natural vocation, a natural profession, natural occupation, natural job, the fact that your steps are ordered of God, you're not just there for the paycheck, you're not just there for uh, whatever else, the, the benefits, all those things are great and we need them. But you're there primarily because you have been divinely deployed. That is, employment is you've accepted some tasks. You've been given some tasks, some job, usually with compensation attached. That's employment. Deployment is to be militaristically positioned, positioned as a military strategic uh, <clears throat> alignment or strategy strategic uh, alignment, uh, uh, strategic positioning. Listen, naturally, it's your employment, but supernaturally, it is your deployment. He calls us to see it that way so that we won't underestimate the power of our position. We read from the book of uh, Matthew uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. 
uh, I think you have the verse right. I know I have the chapter right. Uh, yes, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, that's yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. If you know anything about leaven, which is yeast, you know that when you put yeast in flour or whatever and, 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 and mix it a little, you can't tell where the yeast is. You can't tell where the yeast is. But but eventually, eventually, when the room temperature, when the warmth of the room begins to work, the yeast that was unseen and undetectable begins to make an impact on the dough. And what God says is that you as a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, you are yeast. You are yeast to whatever system that he's placed you in. You're yeast to whatever corporation, whatever profession. You're yeast to that. And he says, when the atmosphere begins to move or affect this dough, you respond to the atmosphere and begin to change the shape of the dough. And certainly when there's, I've seen them take the yeast uh, the dough with the yeast in it and just leave it on the table, you know, position it properly and leave it on the table for it to expand. And then after that, they're going to go to the oven with it. You follow what I'm saying? And certainly the heat is going to cause it to do what it does. I need you to understand that you, as God yeast, have been strategically placed, hidden in the dough of that classroom, in the dough of that commercial business, in the dough of that government, in the dough, certainly, of that ministry, in the dough of that organization, and as the heat of that environment, upon the dough, you begin to cause the dough to rise. You begin to be effective when the atmosphere begins to warm up. Now, 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 the lesson that we shared a few uh, years ago in the conference was entitled infiltrate. That's what the yeast does. The yeast goes in and infiltrates. Infiltrates the dough. And yes, you're exactly right that we stated that some time ago as well. Make the dough do what dough does. Now, we, we we mentioned that on the 17th is Purim. Purim is that day that represents Haman had gotten King Ahasuerus to give him a day on which he could perpetrate genocide on all Jews, kill out the Jews. He couldn't take that back because the law of the Persian king was unalterable. However, with the favor that God gave Esther and Mordecai, they were able to counteract Haman's murderous plot. God hid Esther in the empire of Persia. He hid her until the strategic time. He hid her in the house of Mordecai, her cousin. And then when God needed to move her closer to the palace, he hid her in the harem. Yes, he did. He hid her in the harem. And then when he needed to move her closer, he hid her in the very uh, queenship or queendom of the kingdom. 
He hid her there. And God waited until the heat was turned on to the Jews. When the heat was turned on, Mordecai sent word to Esther and said, if you hold your peace altogether, then enlargement and deliverance will come from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, Mordecai told Esther, you are God yeast, and he hid you in this position, in this, in the dough of the empire of Persia for this moment, because he knew heat was coming. But in the moment of the heat, you're going to begin to rise and you're going to shift this dough in such a way that what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn it for good. Esther did not effect Persia as a prophetess. She did not affect Persia as an evangelist. She did not affect Persia as a pastor. She did not affect Persia as Reverend Esther. She affected Persia as queen. She, in other words, affected Persia as a kingdom profession, as a consultant to the king. That's how she affected. She leveraged a professional position an official position. She leveraged it to shift the empire for God's glory. Well, our time has come and gone. I thank you for sharing with me and with us. I hope that you've been edified in this moment, built up, strengthened. There's so much more that uh, could be said. Remember now, if you've benefited by these presentations, please share them. The, the Facebook and YouTube uh, recordings remain. Share them. Also, if you have not signed up for the podcast, make sure or, or begun to acquire the podcast. It is, it is free of charge. Spotify, um, Apple, uh, the Apple Store, all of these are means by which you can become a part of receiving the podcast on a weekly basis on Friday, Friday morning, but you can listen to the, the podcast whenever. Share it with others. Share it with others. Well, until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals encouraging you to go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we are challenged to bring pleasure to Christ's heart and fame to his name till we meet again. May the peace of God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.